Welcome back to In the Queue, film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Phil, and few movies that I've seen recently have spoken to me to the degree that today's film has. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm your other co-host, Andrew, and I feel very close in age range <laughs> to the characters of this film. Really? But could not be further apart mentally from the characters of this film. Interesting. Well, I'd love to get more into that, as I sort of feel like I'm almost in between the two groups of characters. Oh, really? I mean, if you look at, like, sheer numbers, then yeah, I think I am. But uh, but in terms of philosophies, maybe not. Well, the movie that we're talking about is While We're Young, which is the new film by Noah Baumbach, who I always associate with his breakthrough film, The Squid and the Whale, which yep, came out yep. about 10 years ago. And he's been churning out these kind of esoteric kind of art house films ever since. Um, every couple of years, and this is his latest with Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts. It's a great cast. Uh, before we get into the film, I would like to tell you all where you can find us on the web. If you go to our blog at www.in-the-q, that's the letter q.com, you'll find all mm-hmm. of our shows. You can listen to them all. You can participate in discussions and leave comments and also leave requests for movies you'd like us to review. Also, yeah. we have a Facebook page. On the Facebook page, we list all of our shows. Once again, there's a forum for comments and listener requests. And on top of that, we post videos and other sorts of things to kind of supplement the discussion that we're having for that particular film. Something, you know, generally kind of amusing or funny to add to the discussion. And to keep you, you know, entertained and keep you listening. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, we have an iTunes presence just Go to iTunes and subscribe to In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. All of our shows will be delivered to you as they come out twice a week. And it also has our, our entire back catalog, too. So you can go back and, you know, you can start from the very beginning if you want to and listen to our first show. You certainly can. Yeah. And that would that would be uh, a little bit over a year ago, a year and a couple months. We started in the... F- First or second week of January of 2014. Right. Our first movie was Nebraska. Alexander, it was. Alexander Payne's film, which we disagreed on. <laughs> we certainly did. Our very first show was a disagreement. Well, it'll be interesting to see if we agree on this film. Um, the story of While We're Young concerns a, a married couple who are in their early 40s, mid to early 40s, uh, played by Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts. And um, they're basically, at the beginning of the film, they're feeling a little stagnant, as it were. Uh, yeah. They have, a, cu- they have a, a friendly couple who recently had a baby. And uh, the father is played by Adam Horowitz of uh, Beastie Boys in his first major acting role, I believe. And um, yeah. they've, they've tried to have kids in the past, but unfortunately... Um, Naomi Watts has had uh, miscarriages and um, they kind of they sort of seem to be almost unsure if they want to try again. It's 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 a little bit unclear. There's there's they don't really know exactly how the other person feels. Um, But what they do know, there is uncertainty in their lives. Yeah, they're a little bit insecure with what's with the way things are going. Ben Stiller's character, um, who. I think I'll just find his name so I don't have to keep calling him Ben Stiller's character. Josh. Josh, Josh Shrebnik, I believe. 
And then mm-hmm. uh, Naomi Watts has the lovely name Cornelia. Uh, and Ben, <laughs> Josh is a documentary filmmaker who's also kind of frustrated and not quite achieving the success he wants. He's, he's making a documentary. And interestingly, the subject of the documentary is played by Peter Yarrow of yeah. Peter, Paul, and Mary. Indeed. Yeah. And uh, the, the reason that this film spoke to me is, is in this territory that we're talking about here, the documentary territory. And I'll get more into that later. But at a lecture that Josh gives, he comes across two young people played by Adam Driver and Amanda Seyfried who know his work. And um, Adam Driver's character named Jamie seems to recognize Josh and, 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 and they have a sort of a conversation afterwards. And um, they sort of, you know, Josh is intrigued, I think, his ego has been stroked by, the, yeah. by this young man. And so he's intrigued in this couple and then they sort of start to hang out. And Josh brings his wife into the mix and then as a, as a foursome, they all hang out. And that's kind of the the premise of the film and, and much of the film consists of this idea of clash of cultures almost where you've got the young hipster crowd and then you've got the older square crowd and the, the older square crowd is trying to be hip, especially Josh. And it's just not exactly coming across now. For me, this film is what I would call a bit of a pastiche to coin a phrase, mm. um, mm-hmm. because it seems to be, for the bulk of the film, maybe the first hour or so, the film seems to be a collection of different ideas and styles and motifs um, on a fairly flimsy plot, a fairly threadbare plot. You've got, on the one hand, the film almost has aspirations of a, almost like a Woody Allen scope. Uh, yeah, where you've got. I, th- I thought that quite often during this film. Yeah, and I think it's totally natural because, for one thing, it takes place in New York, and there's all kinds of outdoor scenes in the city, but also it aims to portray an older couple who is neurotic, and we all know that's a very typical um, aspect of a Woody Allen film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all these discussions that the couple has in their pajamas, brushing their teeth, these like. Intimate, angsty, you know, discussions. It's like I was—I couldn't help but be reminded of *Husbands and Wives*, which is one of my favorite Woody Allen movies. I think one of his very best movies. Um, but I also was a little bit disappointed that Woody Allen's movies just seem more kinetic than this one. Um, you know, Noah Baumbach—he puts his camera on the tripod and just has these kind of boring, static shots. Whereas, in, for example, *Husbands and Wives*, Woody Allen had Carla De Palma walking around with a handheld camera. And it was much more immediate. Um, mm-hmm. So and then on, on top of that, the film, the film's first hour kind of feels like an extended episode of Portlandia to me. Um, <laughs> it's just it's kind of like, hey, look, look at all these different things that hipsters do. Like, oh, look how these hipsters are influencing these these other people. There's, you know, the, the, the couple is going to the woman's going to a hip hop class now, a hip hop dance class or the woman's downloading Radiolab on her on her iPhone now because of the, mm-hmm. the, what the hipsters are saying. And the hipsters collect old VHS cassettes of films like the howling. And they listen to eye of the tiger and, 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 you know, and think that it's 
good on some ironic level. Uh, whereas uh, Josh simply says, hey, I remember when this song was just considered to be bad. Right. Um, right. And and so there's that. There's that Portlandia aspect. But then there's also this other thread that comes up, I would say, in the second third of the film. The film really embraces uh, a, a critique of the process of documentary filmmaking. And mm. the, the climactic scene uh, has to do with the integrity of, of the characters as far as their relationship with documentary filmmaking goes. And it's like the film is almost like a love letter to, in, on, on some level, a love, love letter to documentary film. This harkens back to another Woody Allen film called Crimes and Misdemeanors, where yeah. there was a major story thread about a documentary filmmaker played by Woody Allen himself and and the question of ethics in in the, in the film it's in the documentary he was making. So, while I enjoyed this film because I'm a documentary filmmaker and I picked up on a lot of these different homages, um I'm not sure exactly how this would play for for another another audience. I mean, I guess it would be it would be appealing. Well, it would be appealing for people who would find themselves to be older than they would like and want to be young again. Let me tell you how it plays to a different audience. Okay. <laughs> Though I am, uh, you know, I've made films myself and I am intimately acquainted with the process of filmmaking. I, I would not consider myself a documentary filmmaker or a documentarian having never made any documentary really of any kind. Sounds like an apt uh, choice then as to how not to refer to yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I did not, this movie didn't work at all for me. <laughs> I mean, zero percent of it. Wow! I think. Wow, that's bad. I, I found, and and this is this is interesting because I've I've watched some of Noah Baumbach's other films and enjoyed them and thought that they were interesting sort of peeks into sort of the human psyche and you know kind of um, they were very interesting character studies. Mm -hmm. But this film, I find. I, f I finally found myself uh, thinking in terms that have been often thrown at Baumbach that I didn't think were necessarily fair. I now think maybe I've I've come to see the light. Oh, really? And, and that is when people say that he is pretentious, <laughs> that he is uh, pompous, that his his exploration of the human psyche is a little bit hollow. I found all of that to be true in this film. I thought that it was it seemed terribly disingenuous to me. Mm. I like aside from the, I think correctly stated kind of critique of documentary filmmaking that you mentioned and, mm -hmm. and the process that goes into that and whether staged events can still be considered documentary or, you know, whether the core of the documentary is really about the heart of it or the, the, the story that you're telling or whether the core is the fact that you're actually documenting something as it's happening. Yeah, that's all. That's all interesting stuff, sure. But I'm, I'm not sure that it's ever really properly addressed in this because it's filtered through the lens of this just totally solipsistic, selfish person uh -huh. that is insufferable. I I don't like anybody in this movie. Yeah, and and I'm not saying that I need to like the people in the movie that I'm watching. There are plenty of movies that I like where I don't like the people. Mm -hmm. But 
I didn't find myself enjoying the journey even in this film. I mean, some of the, the, the repartee is very clever and very interesting and funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of funny moments in this film. But I find them to be, they, they seemed like they were removed from time and, and without context. Like they, because the, they didn't earn it. The story did not, yeah. did not earn the, the true impact, like the ayahuasca ceremony where they actually like, yeah. I think I've, I've heard of, I don't know if I've heard of that from Portlandia or somewhere else, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's almost like these, there's these moments that are cherry picked throughout the story the film you know Noah Baumbach is a contemporary of Wes Anderson too um, because they collaborated on the screenplays for two films Life Mm -hmm. Aquatic with Steve Zissou and Fantastic Mr. Fox and Wes Anderson was initially offered to direct Squid and the Whale but he actually suggested that his buddy Baumbach should do it himself because he wrote the screenplay and there's this very interesting almost odd choice of music as a motif that happens throughout the film. It's this old, like, um, Vivaldi-esque Vivaldi, string, yeah. string piece. Where, it is Vivaldi. It's yeah, straight Vivaldi. Good. Well, then I... Yes. Yes. Um, you got it. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. Um, and you get the impression that you've heard this in, like, many other films already. And, yeah. it, like, like Kramer versus Kramer, I'm pretty sure it's, like, one of the main themes in that in that mm-hmm. movie from 1979, also taking place in New York. Uh, but it, it also reminded me of, like, Mark Mother's, Mothersbaugh's string yes. music from Rushmore. Yes, and, yeah, I thought the same thing while I was watching And I this. couldn't help... I, this is why I used the word pastiche, because this film is kind of like a coat rack that has many different elements hung on it. The humor, the music, the performances, it's all kind of like cobbled together but it never reaches the brilliance or the or the humor level of a woody allen film uh, or even of say the squid and the whale yeah yeah which is which is a really cohesive solid tight film i think that movie comes from a real place i mean i know it does it comes from bombach's parents divorce i mean bombach from what i read he really excoriated his own father in the character yeah. that jeff daniels plays and it's yeah. and it's it makes for a good film but yeah, this one is just it's it's trite. It it has no core, no heart that kind of sustains it for the entire running time. Well, I think it I think it has it might have something to do with the fact that uh, I mean the the longings and desires of the characters seem to be so superficial, superficial and ephemeral. Like they're things that I don't know why I care that they care about these things. <laughs> I, I don't know why that we I don't know why we care that Ben Stiller's character Josh is so desperate to to be successful so much so that he's he's crushing his own creative vision or why they as a couple do or don't want to have a child you know de- depending on who's speaking at any given point in the film yeah uh, but it doesn't seem like they're ever really totally invested in anything. In fact, it almost seems like the sort of hipster uh, motif, the idea that, you know, you can't be bothered by, you know, emotionally invested in anything. It seems like the entire film is kind of uh, totally wrapped up in that. And I guess, I don't know, maybe I just haven't aged into this movie yet. Well, don't be so hard on yourself. I mean, (laughs) I, I, 
the, this movie kept me going joke by joke, and that is no way for a movie to be. There's got unless to be... the movie is Airplane, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> or even some of Woody Allen's very early films like Bananas, yeah. uh, or, or Sleeper. But yeah, it's like I was I was amused only as long as the next joke would take me. I mean, yeah. I actually I never do this, but I got up. And got a refill of my soda Whoa. and walked back in the theater. And I felt like I hadn't missed anything. Yeah. And, and I was pretty much right. You know, I mean, okay. Yeah. That being said, for the character that Adam Driver plays, I thought he, he played it pretty well. Uh, I thought he did too. I think that Adam Driver is kind of being typecast as like creepy, manipulative hipsters. <laughs> uh, I think girls pretty much did that to him. Yeah. Um, that's going to be tough for him to break out of. Although maybe not. He's a Juilliard grad. He, he might have no problem doing other stuff. Well, you know, also he, he won a major award, I think at Venice for a film that he made a couple years ago. Oh. Uh, he got, it was him. And then this other actress, two Americans got the, t- the top acting prizes. And I don't know if this film has come out yet. The name escapes me. Maybe we can post it after the show, but, mm-hmm. but he's, he's, He's getting some recognition. Well, he's got chops. I mean, that's that's for sure. And in fact, I would say everybody in this film turns in a perfectly wonderful performance. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think Ben Stiller, who I'm, I'm normally not a huge fan of, I do, I do like him. I think he's done some great work. Uh, I think he's also done some terrible work. But uh, as an actor, I think he does a great job in this film. I think that mm-hmm. uh, he, ch- he challenges himself. Uh, and he shows a lot of emotional depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Naomi Watts, I think, is always fantastic. She's great in this. This might be the best I've ever seen, Amanda Seyfried. I was going to mention, actually, I thought she was quite good because... I, I thought so, too. And, you know, she had a smallish part, but that was because she's a smallish figure in her husband's life. And when we finally had that, you know, moment where... Josh and um, da- uh, Darby sit down together, and Dar- yeah. Darby reveals like how she, her true feelings. I mean, like, yeah, it's like she's. I thought she did a good job of playing a character who has become marginalized in her own relationship. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and that being said, I mean, it's it it is always very disappointing for me when you can recognize that everybody's giving a good performance in a film and yet you aren't able to connect to it at all. And that's what happened in this film. I'm, I'm watching it and I'm intellectually able to realize, yeah, these guys are, are doing the work they're, Mm -hmm. they're doing, they're hitting their beats. They're committed to their characters. They've created very robust, full three dimensional characters. It's actually, you know, it's all, all the work is being done there. Right. But, they're just it's just not interesting to watch and i think th- that responsibility falls on the screenwriter you know to yeah. to really maybe being less concerned with with coming up with woody allen-esque quips um and just kind of maybe fleshing out some more story more character more motivations for for the reasons why people act the way they do uh, i just felt like too much of the movie was just kind of keeping you going joke by joke and just, and not, I feel like there wasn't really enough. 
the, the story didn't seem to, to reveal any kind of real gravitas until the last third when it became to, a movie about the ethics of documentary filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I, I wonder if some people might feel a little bit sort of um, surprised because it, the movie's being marketed as this kind of a, a clash of cultures comedy. And then, you know, it's like what it really becomes about is something as, as specific and, and, and not as widespread as, you know, the, the ethics of making a documentary. Well, I think, I think that might be in some ways, uh, either a failure of the writing or a failure of the direction, because I don't think that it thinks that it's about the ethics of documentary filmmaking. I think that that is meant to be a stand in for the inner life of Josh Mm-hmm. Right. There's supposed to be it's supposed to be representative of the way that he views the world is that there are these rules and there, you know, you, there's an honesty that he believes that he engages in and represents, you know, and, and I think that it's meant to be uh, tied very closely to his character's inner life. But what it ends up being is just like, well, now we're having an interesting discussion about the ethics of documentary filmmaking. Yeah. In the film. Yeah, it's and I mean that's clearly not what the film is about, so it's it's very disappointing to see that, you know? Yeah. Um I don't know. Well, it's also, um, as with a lot of films that, you know, sometimes can be muddled, the marketing campaign can also give a different impression than what is truly there. Oh yeah. And yeah. um and this the the marketing campaign for this film did not really seem to delve into the fact that there's going to be a, anyway to, to we don't want to belabor the point but the, the 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 marketing campaign for this movie with the trailers that I saw seemed to be about this humorish humorous culture clash that was happening between these two couples and uh and I thought well that looks interesting that looks amusing and I think it was amusing I mean it was full of amusing things that me as a generation xer got jokes that you know I was born in Actually, Andrew, you and I are considered to be from the last year of Generation X. Um, Depends on which definition you look at. There are some definitions that say that Generation X ends at like 78. Yeah, okay. 79, and then the millennials start in 1980 or 1981, depending on who you're looking at. I guess it does depend. I mean, how can you really be scientific about something like that? (laughs) You can't. You can't. But anyway, like, I felt like I got a lot of the jokes, and... It was okay. it was okay. It's an okay film. Uh, I'm never gonna see it again. I yeah. I really have no no reason to ever see it again. And um, but I think if you're if you're a filmmaker, it might be even more amusing than it is to to the average Joe. Possibly, possibly. I will say that one thing that actually kind of shocked me about this film Ooh. was that for a film that is set in New York and is ostensibly by New Yorkers. The fact that when they at the end, and you wouldn't know this necessarily, Phil, but at the <laughs> end, when they go in to this big uh, sort of dinner that is honoring uh, Cornelia's father, uh-huh. uh, who's who's this great sort of legendary documentary filmmaker in the in the context of the film, they go in for this dinner and they go in to the theater at Lincoln Center. But then when they're actually in the place, it's overlooking Columbus Circle, which is really jazz at Lincoln Center. And they're about six blocks apart. <laughs> so 
It really kind of bothered me a little oh, bit. That's hilarious. I did recognize Lincoln Center as the, as he was going into the building. I was like, oh, wow, that's Lincoln Center. But I would definitely not have picked up on what you did. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, and no, Bombach. I just found it, I found it strange because well, you gotta make for certain, a New York film. You've got to make certain concessions when you're making a film. You know, you have to I understand. you have to go where the convenience and where the money is. And Noah Bombach is a native New Yorker. He was born in Brooklyn. Uh, and yeah. it may have it may have really hurt him to make that decision, <laughs> but uh, may have. but yeah. Well, they they probably wanted that tableau of looking out over Columbus Circle. Yeah, and you know because it's it's really beautiful to look out the the windows there, but uh, it's not the right location. <laughs> well, my favorite anecdote about movie trickery like that is is from Eraserhead, which was filmed over a five year period, and in the, if you look at the finished film, there's a scene where. Uh, Henry Spencer walks through a door and then the next shot he comes out the other side and in that period of time five years had passed right because of you know when that was filmed and uh, and that's the magic of the movies folks I mean that's what you can do you can manipulate and that's what Ben Stiller actually believes you shouldn't do when you're making a documentary and you know and that I I did the Rogue Film School with Werner Herzog a couple of years ago, and I was shocked. I was like, you know, Ben's character when Herzog revealed how he staged a lot of stuff in his films. But now I kind of feel like there's a there's a med- there's a, um, a happy medium there between yeah. between being you know truthful, which is kind of an objective term anyway, and being manipulative. And so, well, and I think it depends on the kind of documentary that you're trying to make, sure. because. That's sort of, you know, I mean, if you watch, for instance, an Errol Morris documentary and it's filled with reenactments and it's filled with, you know, all kinds of additional sort of flair, uh-huh. cinematic flair, there's a reason for that because Errol Morris has sort of picked his thesis and he's trying to dig at that thesis, through, you know, in the same way that you would read an op-ed or you would read like a, a book mm-hmm. that delves into a particular subject. There's always going to be a point of view on the part of the person creating the work. Yeah. So it's a, it's a strange thing for people to get angry about. Well, Josh in the film, he got angry because he's his like kind of half-baked lecture at near the beginning of the film he says documentaries are not about me, they're about you. And and what he's get yeah. what he's getting at is that the the filmmaker should not impose their beliefs on the film. But then he keeps talking about Nanak of the North as being one of the great pure documentaries. Yeah. And that documentary is full of stage scenes. It's it's almost completely yeah. staged. And and in fact. I thought that was a humorous, ironic twist, whether or not Bombach realized what he was doing. But um I think he he had to, right? Yeah. He I to. guess so. He 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 kind of mocks the shit out of Josh in this movie. Yeah. I mean and then but then it all wraps it up in a nice happy ending and it's just like, well, it was con but that that, that that might also contribute to it. Like he, I do think that he has a tone of mockery towards this character, uh-huh. and and by having that sort of tone of mockery, it makes it really difficult to empathize, right? Because it doesn't seem like the filmmaker is on the side of the characters that it's that the movie is about. Yeah, whose side is he on? I don't know, man. I don't know. All right. Well, I guess overall, my overall recommendation for the film is uh, maybe wait till it comes to Redbox. 
<laughs> Red box. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. I didn't I didn't realize that you lived in the boonies. <laughs> hey man. Red box. We can't all live in Manhattan, New York. <laughs> I don't even remember the last time I saw a red box. I saw a red box yesterday for the first time when I watched Birdman with my parents. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's only a dollar. uh, It's a dollar. You can't argue with that. It's a dollar. Yeah. No. Yeah. Sure. Great. (laughs) It's always just like new releases and like straight to video. Well, yeah. Well, this will be a new release pretty soon. Yeah. It's true. Or if you, okay. if you want to spend one of your Netflix allowances to rent the film or stream it or whatever, if you have Netflix. Yeah, I just – I'm not saying don't – you don't necessarily need to see it in a theater because it's really not worth it. I would completely agree with that and I would even go further and say that it's really I, – I would not recommend it, period. <laughs> okay. I, I just – I just it, it did nothing for me. I, I just thought that it was uh, – it was a lesser film. Uh, in the in the Baumbach canon, uh, and uh, while it it does it does have some strong performances, so I guess if you're interested in these actors, you might want to watch it just to see them turn in some really excellent performances. But uh, aside from that, it it does not uh, it does not get my motor running. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So this week is going to be a little bit of a unique week because. We are only doing one episode. Uh, that is this new release while we're young. And after this, we're going to go into a bit of a different cycle for a little while. Uh, I am going to be uh, unable to attend movies in the theater for a period of time. Therefore, we're going to be doing in place of new releases. We'll be talking about Criterion Collection releases. Mm, yes. That we love. Uh, if you listen to our previous iteration of our podcast, we had a section in there called the Criterion Corner. Yep. So we're sort of bringing that back in a way. And then in addition, we're still going to be doing our listener requests. So still two episodes a week, as you have uh, come to expect from us. But one of those is going to be Criterion. One of those is going to be a listener request. And uh, we will try to get back to doing the new releases as soon as possible after that. And, uh, and just stay tuned, and we'll keep you abreast of what's going on. Uh, so thank you so much for listening to our podcast about While We're Young, and we will catch you next time. We'll see you then.